0: fact is if people want to do anything in this industry hell yes they have to listen to us they have to answer to us is a better way of putting senate means something it's the reason why senate does well in the marketplace because you either like it or you hate it it's the reason why fr does well in the marketplace because you're either fr or you're not fr and if you're fr you're fr till you die and if you're senate you're senate till you die Those were the founding members of Senate talking in the It's All Good documentary. And this is how to be unpopular podcasts. Not sure. Forgot to check the number before doing this. I was supposed to do this um, uh, on the last day of 2017. So happy 2018. 2017 was a very great year. For skating, Every day is a great year for skating because if you're alive and healthy and able to skate, that's a good year for skating. That's all that matters really. 2018 has been interesting though. Dirtbox no more on the first day. Um, or the, Yeah, the first day of uh, 2018. The Dave Lang post was really interesting. I'm still waiting for that uh, Blader Union open letter from Jacob Barnes um, there is rumors about aggressive mall and uh, rumors about the, the Seba and but whatever there will always be skates available and there will always be people skating there's that quote in Hoax too. I don't know what skating is going to be like in the future but I always know there's going to be people skating um, doing the best of blade 2017 this year, I realized how diverse, I think it started kind of in 2010 with, um, the power blading stuff and Dustin and Richie going to Barcelona and, um, imagine blade shun once that came out, um, Haitian Meg. I don't know. There's a bunch of little bits and pieces, dirt box, especially, um, There was kind of an opening up in skating, slowly getting more diverse at the starting of the decade. Now, as we're getting closer to the end of a decade, which is insane, because a lot of people said that, you know, well, a lot of people think that rollerblading is dead and that aggressive skating died off completely. And it's funny that now we're almost going to be two decades into people already thought it died, but we've been doing it for two decades after people thought it died which is awesome anyways going into 2020 um yeah the end of this decade i just love all of the different styles of skating all the different uh products and experiments and i i just really like where it's at and again if you're happy or if you're healthy and able to skate and alive on planet earth that's pretty good I remember we would talk about there's almost it for a long time there. It felt like it was amazing that there were actually that many skate companies and products being made for how niche and small the sport actually was. People often forget that um, the original boom of rollerblading funded aggressive skating, that while aggressive skates were selling a lot, just traditional. Recreational skates, speed skates, other kinds of skates. They were selling, like, hotcakes. I think B. Harden talks about it in... Uh, I think there's a quote in Barely Dead, or maybe it's bonus footage of him talking, where he said, K2 were selling skates like Waffle House pancakes. And then I think he goes into... How that always fed into aggressive. So it's amazing that there that the niche... Within a niche, within a niche, of uh, aggressive inline skating, that that we have so many companies making skates and having a go at making products and things. It's great. Um, another thing that's really cool, but I know for some people it's not. Um, nobody is really getting paid to skate, even the best of the best. Happy. <laughs> if you believe in in uh karma or someone getting what they deserve in a good way the fact that haffy won that uh $250,000 trick shot thing is that's you know the kind of payday that you want to see for someone like that it's funny that it's not that the amount of effort that he put into skating he should ha- be getting $250,000 for it but i mean if he gets paid in a in a unique way, um, that's great. But yeah, everybody who's doing things in skating, kind of how I talked about doing a full-length project in the, or working on something bigger, I think a lot of people know that nobody really cares, that we just care about the niche within the niche within the niche. And uh, people just want to make stuff. Nobody's getting paid. Some people... It'd be great if they were getting paid, but if they're gonna skate anyway, regardless, um, I think that's amazing. That that's a very healthy, pure way of doing a sport, art, lifestyle, activity, hobby, whatever you want to think of it. And um, I would say that the sport is maturing, but throw social media into the mix, and I'm not sure from that angle if it's maturing but in terms of our average age god we must be 30 now the average age Um, going through those best of blades is insane I go through every um, every Instagram post that I posted on the account um and every Facebook post throughout the year, starting at the very first post on january first of twenty seventeen it 's amazing how much stuff uh gets made and created it's hard to keep up, so I think it's good to do those reflection things even just as a um even if it's a there's lots of funny awards and things it's a great Uh, look back on the history because I guess the videos were traditionally and video creators were the historians of the sport but now that there's (laughs) um, Facebook posts and Instagram posts, there's so much to document and try and highlight so um, hopefully we keep doing it over the years It's, it's a lot of work, I think it took two solid like 7 hour shifts um two days in a row 7 hour shifts and you start to go insane cuz you have to look at every single post anyways it's a it's i'm very excited about uh 2018 novelty seems to be increasing in the rollerblading world where will we be at the beginning of the new decade who knows um, this is more related to over the holidays. Some of these notes are older, but I didn't like the new Star Wars movie. Um, I was a pretty big Star Wars fan, uh, when I was younger, and then I didn't like the prequels, and then, um, the nostalgia rush of Force Awakens is really good. I'm relating this to rollerblading, so if you can bear with me here. The nostalgia rush of Force Awakens was really great. Uh, really didn't like Rogue One. Rogue One was the beginning of like my um, hanging to being a Star Wars fan by a thread. Uh, predictably, I really like Empire Strikes Back. Um... And Yoda's my favorite character. I think it was because... I think being a a Star Wars fan and why these comic book movies are huge, which I'm not... They're very average, those comic book movies, Um, so I'm not a huge fan of those. But in terms of being a Star Wars fan, uh, because a lot of us don't grow up with organized uh, religion, although I was baptized uh i think my grandparents wanted me to be um star wars and comic books and all this stuff these are kind of like our our way to get myths and stories to uh aspire to greatness and all that <clears throat> so i think i later you learn that star wars is just lots of stuff borrowed from Japanese films and Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey and Hero with a Thousand Faces and um, that it's a lot of Stuff that's been around for thousands of years, but just delivered in a great pop culture American way That's what Star Wars was They're they're also just a series of blockbuster movies from the uh, 70s and 80s uh, that um, caught on because of yeah myths so myths and and Space Wars to young kids. So it's really funny that um, Disney buys Star Wars. And Star Wars could have easily gone the way of aggressive inline skating. Although I guess it's way bigger than that. But I remember watching Rogue One and having this weird feeling of this i I don't think we even need to have more Star Wars movies like this does not have to be called Star Wars and then watching the newest movie, it felt like um it felt very disnified and watered down, and uh I had this weird feeling that. You know, if Senate or Mind Game got bought out by a large company and aggressive nostalgia was huge and they knew that these properties, Senate and Mind Game, were really important to resell back to uh, the aggressive inline boom of 2022, (laughs) um, something should just stay in the past and, and... Just be good in that moment in time, and we should allow room for new things. Um, And nostalgia's great. Feels good to do a nostalgia burst once in a while. But I don't think Star Wars needed to come back in any way, shape, or form. Um, And I don't think Senate or Mind Game ever needs to come back. Um, I'll just look at my notes here. Same thing as uh, Nike and in Nike skateboarding. Just these these stories of um, of shareholders and and uh, I, I mean, it sounds corny that I'm talking about this stuff, but the story happens over and over and over again that something gets bought that used to be special and then it just gets watered down um, and just the cash, just a cash cow cash squeezed from something that used to be special. And there's going to be star Wars films coming out until I'm dead. Probably they're just going to milk this thing. And I, it's Kind of hard to put into words, but the best way I can describe is is if, is if *Mind Game* or *Senate* came back. There might be some excitement out of nostalgia, which is kind of what *The Force Awakens* was. But then the more it keeps going, you know, it's it's not the same, and you know it was pointless to bring it back. Um, and then there's uh, there's fandom around these things that will participate and support it no matter what so some like the idea of disney buying star wars is like they're buying the fan base too um and it's not exactly special anymore anyways i wanted to get that out of the way um and it reminds me why skating is great kind of what i was talking about at the start of the podcast is that it's it's small and niche and nobody's getting paid to do it um people are making stuff and sharing stuff and it it's it's pretty goddamn underground i mean with social media now it's not but in terms of if people even think aggressive inline skating is a thing anymore i don't think they do it's it's you won't see it on tv it's not Offered at Woodward, um, I think that's such a good thing, though. I think that it's great to be a part of something like that. The um, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I was just wanted to get that uh, if if Senate. In mind game ever came back it would be just as bad as Star Wars coming back I'm also dealing just with getting older and realizing that uh, Star Wars is definitely not special or unique in any way I don't even know why how that that movie was so far from uh, what I thought it was going to be um, and it wasn't Like after I watched it, there's some movies that you watch and then watch again and like it more. I knew for sure that I did not like that movie. And uh, we can move on now. Uh, I posted that snowblading footage from 1998 or 1999. I can't remember what it was. And I didn't have ski elders back then. I wish I did. Although it's funny, in the history of uh, free skiing, as they call it, uh, Jason Leventhal, who first started out in line ski boards, they really sweep that under the rug that the first twin tip skis were uh, actually line and uh, that when skiing was first in the X Games, it was actually skiboarding slash snowblading, but they're like, "Ah, oh, uh, can we? No, we're not. We uh, don't really want anybody to know that." So then, Solomon releases this documentary recently about the 1080 ski. God, I hate when they do the I was watching the the recent Solomon 1080 ski 20th anniversary thing, and when they do the like. The Offspring song comes on, and it's a montage of crazy tricks. Look at it! Look at how punk rock and counterculture. They even had a thing where they like cut uh, of a a snowblader. Not that I know that snowblading is funny in retrospect, and it's not the correct t- technology for the the mountain. There's better technology, but Solomon fucking made snowblades, and in this '1080 thing. They show like a snowblader hitting a jump in Whistler in 1997 or something like that. And the guy, the soundbite, somebody talking, skiing was lame in the early 90s or whatever. And it's amazing how as a large company, you can kind of uh, yeah sweep some history under the rug and, and uh, put some money into a documentary and shape your story a different way. I'm really looking forward to the uh if there's a power slide documentary in twenty thirty where uh it'll just say that uh yeah, uh power blading came out and then tri-skates came out and skating was changed forever. Big wheels caught on. It's funny how if you have enough money, like if they had a lot of money, you could just market uh A story where uh, the history is what you want it to be. Yeah, if you ever hear... If there's ever some giant company that makes a... Skating documentary about the rise of big wheels... You definitely won't hear anything about Seba... Or Wizards in it, I'm sure. But just remember, you heard it here. There were many factors... In the rise of big wheels. I think one of it is that we're old and uh, when you try big wheels again, it connects you to the first time you tried skates. I remember Richie said that about when physics came out. He said you got that feeling of first trying uh, rec skates when you tried physics. Anyways, I didn't have ski elders so um, I wish I did. I think I would have stuck with skiing more instead of being away from it for a long time and returning. But even looking at this footage from back then, um it's a it's an accessibility problem that's still really annoying to have to drive to a mountain. It'd be awesome to live in a town where the mountain was right there and you could just walk to the chairlift. And also a pass for a day cost as much as um yeah like a full set of wheels or you could save that money for film stuff film super 8 film or traveling for the summer anyways it just made me think of that um that's that snowblading was really fun but i wish that there was some kind of ski mentor where uh I put more effort into skiing over time because, yeah, my body, I don't have a body that's going to want to hit a 50-foot kicker or try and hit rails on street. I don't, turning 36, keep it low impact, you know? And I went street skiing the first time. I had it in the back of my head for the longest time that I wanted to go street skiing, um... But for some weird reason, I thought it felt so weird to drive somewhere and have skis and boots and put them on and uh, figure out what to do. It was watching the bunch videos and what they do. It's so close to uh, how we look at skating here in Kamloops and the experimentation in their skiing was really inspiring. And it took me a while to realize that it's basically the exact same thing as me going for a solo session on my skates. So I finally, it was three years later, I went to a school by my house and started messing around on the skis. It was really fun, hard on the knee because it was kind of icy, but um, I hope to do that more. Not, not a lot, but I, it was free. I just drove in a car two minutes down the street, didn't pay any money for a lift ticket, and got the same feeling in the wintertime that I get from skating. But very challenging. People talk about how uh, to aggressive inline skaters, a uh, 280 to 300 millimeter frame uh, skis. You going skiing with those? And um, my skis are 1,800 millimeters um and 182 centimeter skis back in maybe 20 years ago those would have been joked as snowblades. the world is so twisted i get so confused sometimes if if we are actually in a in a simulation or a or a elaborate movie that they keep throwing bits of novelty in Red Bull cra- Crashed Ice is still such a good example of how um, you can just dress up some old shit in some new shit and people think it's new. The same reason that skis are inspired by snowblades. Skis are, modern skis are giant snowblades. But then there's all the humor of like, oh, Snowblades, but it's the exact same fucking thing. It's just bigger. It's exactly this. Anyways, it drives me insane. I hope we can, that we don't go towards the idiocracy world, which we are currently. And I hope we go to an intelligent, open-minded world, but, um, Yeah. Ice skate hiking. My God. I will be sharing lots of old footage over the next two years. So prepare yourself. Either uh, unsubscribe or or unfollow from social channels or YouTube. Um, I have every single tape since the beginning. Um, So that's 21 or 22 years of footage, or maybe more. There might be 1995, 1994, 23 years of footage. I didn't uh, ever tape over tapes. Um, I was very bad at labeling in my marijuana smoking days. Also just being a teenager or a 20 year old male, Um, The idea of putting the date, the project and the year on the tape, it's so obvious and um, it would feel incredible to just be able to organize my tapes that way. But um, no, (laughs) there's no process. Uh, There's tapes just with the name Slop Face or Ballin in Skating and, uh, you know, entertaining, but difficult to have to eventually. I want to organize every tape. There'll be a box with the video name that all that footage was for. And I'll have all the tapes, any kind of art or notes or notebook related to that. And I want to have everything organized in a box. Um, if that makes sense. So it would have the video name, the year. And hopefully chronologically I have everything organized and yeah capturing everything because we started the new project the two-year project yesterday and uh it's actually very nice to be able to come home after filming and not um although I love doing it but right after the session I would usually edit for two or three hours and put an edit out and uh did that quite a bit for quite a long time. So it's gonna be really nice to not edit, to just have the footage and just stack. Just stack footy for two years. Just stack footy for a big full length project. Start stacking. Anyways, so I have more time because I'm not editing other things to capture old footage and It has to be interesting though. I'm not just going to put up, like even I cut things out and try and make it somewhat digestible in this current day and age when I put it up on YouTube. So I'll try and still keep it interesting. And then I'm not always, I'm not going to put up everything because I also want to take notes and reflect on all the skating history and eventually create something new out of old stuff, but I won't reuse anything that I've posted if that makes sense. Cause there's really funny ideas, stories, and things that you notice about um, skating to the point that I think, I imagine it like a narrated documentary type thing that I talk over the footage um, and it has a, a story and it would go chronologically, kind of. It would tell, it would kind of tell the history of skating and the story of skating, but through a group of uh, kids in a small town that continued to do it up until they're 40, forty or fifty. I don't know when I would put that out, but I know the story's still happening. So there's no point in making anything yet. You want to have a very long view of it to be able to reflect anyways one thing I noticed is that we got way shittier at skating when we turned um 1920 because of uh that was the legal drinking age in Canada and you discover things like uh yeah drinking and going to a nightclub and just the it wasn't that there was bad footage it's just it was less uh the footage when you're kind of still in high school and going to skate downtown after school or yeah skating after school there is an there's a there's an energy to it that's that young person energy where you haven't uh discovered alcohol or anything or yeah alcohol weed was later and um there's a there's a purity to it and an energy to it of where you can feel it in the footage that all you want to do is have your skates on and skate. And then later, it's, it has this weird, uh, weird, like, go to a rail and collect footage for something that you think people are going to care to watch, even though they didn't really. Hard to explain, but you can kind of feel it and see it in the footage, that there's clear eras. Uh, but I understand why a lot of people who discover girls, alcohol, drugs, cars, all that shit. People fall out of the sport, kind of after high school, going into that uh, yeah, early 20s phase. Um, so yeah, two year project. I just have mushroom plating seven. Two-year project, and then in quotations Nothing is desired and all outcomes are perfect. It's a quote from this weird book Zen filmmaking from this weirdo Scott Scott Shaw Where the main there's these six tenets of Zen filmmaking, but not Spiritual Zen as you think about it more a weird Zen the way you branded this you just need to look up Scott Shaw I think he did the rollerblade 7 but he's, he's a, his ideas relate a lot to making a skate video. And uh, there's, yeah, the one quote, ultimately in Zen filmmaking, nothing is desired and all outcomes are perfect. So the idea of just filming, skating, living, capturing for two years, not posting any, ed- any edits, um, any new edits or new footage for two years, and then making something out of all that's collected... Uh, is very exciting to me because it, it switches up the process and uh, the way you think about making stuff and filming everything. And I gotta say, um, over the break and over the last couple of weeks, I've been watching a lot of Greg Stump films, famous ski filmmaker, and. I don't like calling people filmmakers, but he actually was a filmmaker in terms of how he put his things together. Um, Blizzard of of Oz is what he's most famously known for. He's famously known for coining the word extreme, which I think came from the French, the skills of the extreme, they would say, or or something that sounded like that. And... uh, He used the word extreme skiing. I don't know if you can hear a dog snoring. (laughs) Hank snoring away. uh, King Charles Spaniel snoring. He used the word extreme in his ski films. I think his first film was um, 1982 or 3. And then it goes all the way up until 1994. I haven't seen all of them. I tried to watch everything I could. I think I've seen six now. But if you watch one, just watch Blizzard of Oz from 1989. Because, um, yeah, the ex- extreme games and all that and extreme sports happened far after uh, Blizzard of Oz. But it was uh, that film and Glenn Plake and... Um, scott schmidt and glenn plake were on the today show talking about extreme skiing and it was that and blizzard of oz launched skiing into kind of a new era Um, and that's a whole other thing to talk about how after the extreme games and world industries took over skateboarding and snowboarding came up we're kind of in this strange tone of all of that up until now. You can feel things breaking out of it slowly but um, these old Greg Stump films are so unpretentious and, and uh, free, amazingly put together free as in you feel the freedom of skiing. There's no there was no tricks really and there was no, you know, they weren't grinding on skis yet they were just, they really liked to go fast down a hill and off cliffs, and it's super refreshing to watch. And there's a lot of Greg Stump connections to rollerblading, and even to my influences without knowing that Greg Stump influenced them. So, Greg Stump made the early rollerblade promos that would have played in ski shops or sport shops. There's Rollerblade The Ride Continues, and uh, maybe he made two. And there's also rollerblading footage that I, I posted some in an Instagram story, or maybe I posted it on Instagram, I can't remember, from 1989. He was doing the early promo rollerblade stuff, and there's an opening shot in Blizzard of Oz, which is arguably the most legendary ski or extreme sports. Film of all time. there's people going down down a hill on rollerblades and then it dissolves into people going down hill on skis. Um, I think a lot of people were counting on the whole ski skate crossover thing and later on you realize they're not they're not the same thing. They're kind of related in some ways, but I don't think they'll ever cross like the way they were originally marketed. so it makes sense. Why they got Greg Stump's ability to, um, show speed and freedom and carving, um, his eye for shots, the music that he chose, the interviews with the athletes, really, really talented dude. I can't wait to see more of his videos. One of his videos, I think it's Maltese Flamingo, was fucking Tony Hawk's first Video appearance. I found that out on Mike Powell's podcast. And I think it's Maltese Flamingo. I'm not totally sure, but it has skiing, snowboarding, surfing, rollerblading, skateboarding, and BMX in it. And the early days of extreme sports, or these sports, I mean, skiing or skateboarding and BMX in 1989 had that same rollerblading, definitely, because it was a new sport, but this. unpretentious, uncool, uh, genuine, pure vibe of uh, pizzazz and energy and a neon flash. And um, I think skating's missing a lot of that now. I don't know if that's the influence of skateboarding or the idea of cool. I, there's a lot there and I need to watch and study his films more, but uh, he ended up being a huge influence on T-Bone films. So without Greg Stump, the Hoax films, especially Hoax 2 and Hoax 3, there's Greg Stump fingerprints all over that in terms of the way the interviews are, the shots, um, the music cues. You'll see if you watch a Greg Stump film you'll realize it feels like a T-Bone film. And then a local show here in town before Jackass and CKY and Tom Green and all that, uh, I can't remember, it was either his cousin or auntie or somebody in his family knew, Greg Stump. The creator of the show, Euphoria Emporium, learned to edit from Greg Stump. It was a local cable access show it, that played only in Kamloops. This is before the internet. This is the early 90s. It was half an hour. It played on... I can't remember what night, but we would stay up to watch it or we'd tape it and it was a skit show, but also a Canadian-British kind of sense of humor, really weird, had the same kind of energy and feel of of sk- that skate, ski, snow, surf. There was Greg Stump segments that played in the middle of it. He learned to edit from Greg Stone. So two of my biggest influences, which was Hoax 2 and Euphoria Emporium, which big influence on um, Cirque du Soleil, Monty Python 2, but I'm sure Euphoria Emporium was influenced by Monty Python 2. That British Canadian humor that's a little bit different than American humor. And I'm not sure what that is, but it's just there. But yeah, Greg Stump influenced so much of um, what I learned about making videos and shooting. And he influenced everybody's... He influenced the early image of rollerblading. He was... You look at the neon flash in his films, what became the neon flash on rollerblades. And um, I posted it before, but Glenn Plake and I can't remember... Sean something famous like snowboarder from way back in the day. They're in one of the early rollerblade promos. Everybody knows the image of Glenn Plake with his mohawk uh when he rode for K2. There's a there's the extremely different poster him and Scott Schmidt, pretty amazing image, but people know the skiing guy with the mohawk image. It's one of the classic like extreme sports images and to see him in one of the early rollerblade promos was a big surprise. I'm sure he regrets it. But um, yeah, rollerblading just didn't blow up with skiers the way it was intended to. And I think with good reason. They're definitely not. They're similar, but not at the same time. Oh. Oh, where are we at? 43 minutes. Okay, I'll try and wrap this up. Um, going through this old footage, I posted the Whistler footage and the Vancouver comp with the blue ramps and, uh, Todd and I are in, I'm in the early M12s with no, um, heel plate. He has tarmacs or box cars, pretty much the same boot with no heel plate and we have no sole plates. And, um, you can tell I mean, we complain about small sole spaces now. There is no heel plate. The sole space is tiny on those skates. And the Royale is really nestled nicely into the boot. And now I understand why Todd just recently got Solomon's. And I wasn't expecting to like my V13s or M12s, whatever you want to call them, as much as I did. And I realized that a lot of our early, earliest the first time we learned the new tricks when they came out so Royales, Unities Backslides Kind Grind um, Sweat Stance etc etc Torque Soul um, We weren't big on the Farves but we learned uh, the posture and the position that we go in on skates that were vastly different than giant ping pong paddle soles you see now and we weren't super technical grinders. We never really got into that part of skating. Um, So I understand more watching this old footage why people gravitate towards our uh, V13s, Solomons, and the sole doesn't have to be giant, and the Royale angle is closer to what you learned on. Um, Yeah, and that sole plates don't need to be giant. so. Anyways, that, that was just a thought, that um, the skates that we learn on kind of create an imprint of how a skate should feel, and also how we do our grind postures. Um, yeah, you don't need a giant sole plate, and Royales feel shitty on a lot of skates. <laughs> and a lot of people have really good style in M12s, V13s, and Solomons. There's something there. Think about it. Um, the last thing that, uh, I have here is that watching these old tapes and skating for this long without falling out of it. I've thought of the idea of, uh, skating is something that we find, even if it's pointless to other people and, uh, not important to other people, it's something that we, we find meaning in. At least I did, that um, if you're looking for meaning or looking for something, I mean, I guess going back to Star Wars, people find meaning in Star Wars, so it's important to them, but it's a little dark when Disney owns the thing that they find meaning in. But hey, do what you want to do. Skating is... What do I... Yeah, Okay. The note that I have here is finding meaning in skating beyond just a sport or activity a connection to something greater yeah the the more I watch this old footage and the more I think about how obsessed I still am with with skating um, it I was able to find something in skating that I wasn't able to find in traditional sport I'm sure people find it in music or or art or obviously circumstances could have been different. I could have gotten skiing at a young age. You know, there's things that you just get hooked into or locked into at an impressionable age. And, um, there'll be people doing a podcast that sounds exactly like this one day, but talking, talking about scooters or, uh, unicycles or Pokemon cards. I mean, the, the, (laughs) the curve of, uh, niche things now it, it, or the graph goes so wide so it'll be interesting to see what Disney wants to buy next buy Marvel Comics buy buy Star Wars buy Fox that one is crazy in some ways they own because Viceland is um run by or over spike jones oversees it and they have a lot of skateboarding programming it's fucking crazy to think that disney owns epically Latered. maybe they don't own 100 percent of it but when i looked at the graph thing they do that's very scary so just appreciate that the thing that you find meaning in hasn't been bought and sold um Skating is great that way. All these activities are great that you can find meaning beyond uh, traditional sport or activity. Um, That's everything. I just have a quote here. remember when the Vancouver riots were happening, uh, the riots when the Canucks lost in the Stanley Cup final. I think that's what happened. I'd have to look that up for historical accuracy. I remember somebody in the comments said, sports spectacles fill the gaping hole that organized religion left behind. And I think um, when people get into things like aggressive inline skating, skateboarding, skiing, snowblading, Star Wars, Pokemon cards, I think we want to have something to believe in um or find meaning in or or maybe it's just a fun activity it doesn't have to be overthought it's just skating actually is just a, a weird hobby that you do a weird activity but um if you're very ingrained in the history of it and a huge nerd about it it can be more than that um i lost my train of thought thank you for listening You're either FR till you die, or you're Senate till you die.